Hey everybody, this is Dave. We're about to get started on part two of the Kevin Seconds interview, but I just wanted to jump in real quick and tell you guys a story. It's only going to take a minute. I used to work at Kinko's in the 90s, and my boss for a time was a guy named John. John was a good dude. He was from the music scene. He used to do a zine called Northwest of Hell. He was a, he was a good guy. He was a good guy to have for a boss. And one day, we were talking about records, and I told him that I had just bought a record off of eBay. The record I bought was the Pitchfork Eucalyptus LP. Now, this record was on Nemesis Records and Cargo. It was, uh, I believe it was released after the band had broke up. And I had a copy of it, but my copy was black vinyl. And I wanted an orange vinyl copy because I knew it came out on orange vinyl. I bought it right when it first came out, but for whatever reason, I got one of the black ones. So for years, I'd been looking for an orange vinyl copy. And this is about the time when eBay started up. So people were selling records on there, and somebody was selling an orange vinyl copy. I bid on it, and I got it for 30 bucks, And I was stoked. So I'm telling John, and I'm telling John because I know he knows about Pitchfork. Because John knew the guys from Pitchfork from back in the day when he was younger. Pitchfork, if you don't know, and you should. Pitchfork is uh, guys from Drive Like Jehu, John Reese from, from Rock From The Crypt. It's a band they basically did. When they were younger, and after Pitchfork broke up, Drive Like Jehu came along. And they're excellent. They're just really good. So, John kind of thought it was funny that I would spend that much money on a record. But I didn't think anything of it. He made fun of me a little bit. Whatever. I go home. Come in the next day to work. He says, come back here. I've got something for you. I go back to his office. He presents me with the Pitchfork Saturn Outhouse 7-inch. Now, I already had that record, too. I didn't even know this record that he was giving me existed, though. He says, turn it over. I turn it over. Above the little picture of the outhouse on the back of the record, it's numbered. Number 91 out of 100. I open it up. It's clear vinyl. I had no idea this record existed. And he said, you could only get that record from the band. There was actually something that you had to do to get the record at the time. And he got one. And he said, if you're willing to spend $30 on that band's LP, I think you should have this. And he gives me this record. And he said, the one thing is you can never sell it. You have to keep it for you. Um, I'm holding that record in my hand right now. This was probably 1998, 1999, somewhere around there when this, when this exchange occurred. So anyway, that's, that's a cool guy, right? Now, here's the reason I'm telling you this story. I've had people asking me, what's with this hot sauce that you're talking about? This ad that you're doing before your podcast. I've been talking about Infinity Sauce. And the guy that makes Infinity Sauce is John, the guy that gave me the record. This is a friend, like, who has definitely done awesome things for me in the past. And I am so excited that he is making such an awesome product with this hot sauce. That's why I've been excited to tell everybody about it. And let me tell you, people who have who have tried this that I know, they have basically 100% across the board been stoked on this stuff. So I'm not asking you to take my word for it. Email your address to infinitysauces at gmail.com. Write, I've known you too long in the subject line. They're going to send you a sample bottle and you're going to be able to check it out for yourself. Anyway, we're going to get to the episode, but I wanted to say that right up at the front and tell a story, a personal story, a true story that connects me to John and lets you know that this isn't just some random hot sauce company that has no connection to what I'm talking about. It is all connected. So check that stuff out. 
we're going to get going on the episode here. Um, I'm going to put pictures of these records up uh, on the uh, on the blog page for this episode. So scroll down, you'll see an Infinity ad, and then you'll see these records that I got because they're awesome. And it just gives me an excuse to take pictures of them, which totally makes me happy. All right, on to the episode. Here we go. <laughs> Okay, we're back in with Kevin Seconds. Kevin, we were talking about basically your whole past and the way Seven Seconds came together mm-hmm. um, up through the early 80s when you started connecting with other bands and basically playing shows outside of Reno. Mm-hmm. So basically what I'm wondering is, I have two questions. How did you connect with the East Coast hardcore scene and specifically how did you come in contact with the concept of Straight Edge? Um, wow, that's, uh, well, so, you know, we had, uh, by we'll say 82, we had really nailed the West California and even gone up to Chico and Redding and, you know, just, we tried to just nail California and Nevada as much as we could. And it was also, we were getting a lot of, um, uh, just help from Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, all the, 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 the guys, the bands. And um, we were just lucky in that way. And that put us in touch with people like Tim Yohannan and Al Flipside and all the zine people. So, Tim Yohannan was maximum rock yeah, and roll. Sorry, yeah. And he he loved us because we were sort of a political punk, you know, fast punk band. And um, he also loved the fact that we were from Reno because, you know, I think just everybody was like just happy that there was something going on up there for some reason that were, you know. So when he put out the, uh, he put out, it's got to uh, be like finding life on another planet. Sort of, yeah. Like, oh, truly. there's another place we can put on the mm-hmm. list. It's yeah. yeah, and when, when it was a feeling of like, there really is something more special, I think, about a scene that flourishes in like Madison, Wisconsin, and Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you expect it in New York, in L.A., in Seattle, and Chicago, but you know, when it's happening in these little towns it's got true meaning because we don't we didn't have we, we weren't cynical you know we we didn't have the jadedness we didn't have the cool like oh there's a show every night we don't give a shit like everything meant something you know every every show there was so much that went into it promoting and putting it in and i was i was the guy that was going and renting halls and lying and saying we're putting on friggin' 50s sock hops you know whatever just so that we could do our thing and it was just everything was just a ton of like it wasn't about money. No one made money. We we our thing was is let's just try to pay JFA as much money as we can so they'll come back and they'll tell you know everybody else. So yeah, we we just um, there was a just a great feeling of community somehow. Like uh, Maxim, I, I credit Maxim Rock and Roll for their scene reports. That was huge for all a lot of us in the early days because you could find out that there were. You know, you the guys from Adrenaline OD or Agnostic Front or, you know, kids down in Florida and Texas, big boys, and all of these people were involved in that. And so you could, you knew who to contact if you wanted to make. And the contact information was in there. So you could incredible. actually send a letter. Send a letter. Or maybe make a phone or call. Or make a phone call, yeah. And sometimes it wouldn't be legal in the way that you made a phone call, but it would. Right, because now this is something that I don't know if people understand anymore. It used to be expensive to make a phone call. Yes. Long distance. Long distance, yeah. And you'd have to sometimes use a, a payphone, which, you know, I don't, they don't really exist anymore. And, and you just sometimes you didn't always have the money to, to pay for the phone call. So you'd, 
there's a card that you'd get and, and a so, card or a number uh, on a card. What about what about the dialers? That was a little more. That was for. Um, I know people that had those. And, I had one once. Yeah. Well, I I did too. But I mean, <laughs> but I, I mean, just as a novelty. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody actually <laughs> built it for me and said, "This is this will be your best friend." And I thought, you know, I you, you book know, tours with it, right? Yeah, of course. You know, well, I I've heard that tours have been, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was like it was it was it was a necessary evil, and it was like well, let's you explain know. what this is to people though. This was a, a, a <laughs> you go do that. I'll do it. This was a you could go to Radio Shack, you could get a little device that basically would make the tones of the numbers, <clears throat> um, on the phone. This must have been needed for something because it was a product. That it was, was a hacker thing, produced. you know. But it was there had to have been a real use for it. Like it was, they made these dialers, but you could take the dialer apart, order some different crystal, yeah. have a friend that knew how to solder it in. It would yep. change the tones and it mm-hmm. would make like either the three or the four, if I remember correctly, make the sound of a dime. Right. And since the payphones were actually tone controlled, mm-hmm. you would, you would put the dialer up to the payphone yep. and you'd press that button over and over again. And every mm-hmm. time it made the tone, it would make, it would make it think a dime had been put yep. in. Yeah. And if you push the button too fast they knew you were faking it yeah yeah and the operator would come on or something or yeah sometimes they would (laughs) so this was a very interesting time of of early hacking yeah absolutely and i was always a little afraid of that and also lazy so i the calling card thing was my thing because you could call a friend in some city who was well connected in the scene and then they would give you 20 numbers that you could use. And the, and a lot the of these The problem numbers, with the calling cards is you were straight up stealing from – I guess I, and ultimately it was stealing from the same place, right? But here's the thing. <laughs> so there were the guys like me who I would only use corporate, corporate – I mean uh. I, I knew people in L.A. who was only getting – literally numbers of Sears, like their right. calling cards and only corporate. <laughs> so that was my line. I would only go after, I would only go after the corporate and, you know, that was my justification. You were taxing the corporations. Yeah. And I also justified it. Like they probably get their bill and they don't even look at it. They just say, just, we'll just pay it. It's a contribution to the arts. Yeah. So, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, we knew everybody was doing it and stuff, but yeah, that was a huge part of booking stuff and, and staying in touch. And uh, there was definitely this, you know, no one can take credit for the underground hardcore punk rock scene except for those who are involved because no one want, knew about it or they if they did, they didn't want to touch it. And it just – we everybody had to make their way. And everybody in each city that had a scene had their own mark, their own stamp. Everybody – you knew – you know, every – People really were going out of their way to sort of have their own identity, which I love. I love the fact that I could tell immediately the Huntington Beach kids from the San Diego kids and the San Francisco scene knew when the Reno kids would come down. And even Sacramento, you know, they would always, they're like, oh, it's those Reno fuckers. Like everyone knew because <laughs> we, everybody went for this thing. And I love that. I mean, it's very tribal and it's very, you know. Sure. And it just, it just, it, it was, it's funny. It seemed like such an individual, like, it seemed like such a, you know, we're trying to create our individual individual thing, but we're talking about what something that like represented like a hundred people or twenty people or whatever. You know, but right, well, it, so it's the different gangs in the Warriors right. in the park, right? Sure. Everybody, in- yeah, yeah, the baseball furies and the <laughs> and we everybody had their thing, you know. And I, I love that part of it. I mean, I don't know that that goes on anymore. I don't, I, you know, I'm not really as connected to the scene, whatever that is these days. But yeah, back then it was really important because it just you created your an identity for. 
your where, what you represented and who you represented, and I, and and I think it was needed then, you know, and I think it did uh, make it more colorful and fun, you know. So is it fair to say I I I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Um, is it fair to say that um, when you connected with the Discord guys with mm-hmm. what was going on there and with the straight edge thing that that was a that that made a stronger connection with you? Uh, yeah, well, so yeah, of course, because, um, the, the, uh, the concept of, uh, even after the song straight edge came out, there wasn't outside of DC, at least at first, it wasn't thought of in circles uh, until like SSD control sort of took it on, you know, Al and those guys, but it wasn't like something that, uh, you know, we, we got it. We were sort of, uh, Ian Bolt, Henry wrote a letter to us first. And he had gotten our tape and from Jello Biafra, and he sent us a copy of the SOA seven inch, which was you know. And then weeks after, Ian sent a letter that I still have, and he just said, "Hey, this is Ian, and you know, I, I was in the Teen Idols. I got a new band called Minor Three, and I'm just like amazing it's, history it's shit." And he was like, "We, I heard your tape. I love it. You guys are great. It's good to how, what's, how, what's going on in Skino? They use Skino because." In the zines, we'd always say "skino," you know, like it was. Why? Our, what? How did, What does it mean? It means nothing. It did. It, it was. Um, it was our way of sort of saying that there's Reno, and then there's the cool part of underground part of Reno, and that's Skino. And just it was just my way of just trying to give us a, something cool. Uh, but it I, didn't come from. That's not like seven seconds, Kevin Reno no, or something. No, I mean, there's it's, been I, jokes throughout the years, like, uh, like I was talking to some skater. I used to have friends that were skate, you know, skateboarders, and they didn't like the BMX, the kids on BMX bikes, and they also didn't like skiers. And this was sort of before skateboarding became a thing. And so my friends that were skateboarders hated like the concept of skiers. Okay. And I said, "Oh, ski? No, I was. It's a total <laughs> joke. Like that was way after. Wait, the, the, wait, yeah. that was way after a ski no already after, existed. Yeah, okay. yeah. I came up with it because uh, San Diego had a like, different cities had nicknames like, you know, San Francisco, Frisco, and. Uh, uh, they also had a bunch of different ones from just depending on the neighborhood, but like San Diego was called Slow Death for a while. Like mm-hmm. they would call, and just every, like towns had their own nicknames, and I just wanted to make Reno sound more interesting than it really was. So I figured it worked. It connected. <laughs> it's in the Urban Dictionary, which is really funny to nice. me. You know? But it's just you know, it's like one of those things where it it caught on, like bands uh, like like Ian and uh, I. I have a letter from one of the. Uh, Adam from the Beastie Boys when they were still kind of punk rock guys and they were like one day we hope we get to play Skino you know like and I was like I was so excited that people were acknowledging Skino you know Tesco V would say how's it going in Skino you know and I was like yes it's taking you know but yeah we just uh, uh, you know my brother and I were the only sober you know and we we grew up around drugs I mean we we should have all been drug addicts and alcoholics right. and and certainly various band members of seven seconds have had issues. But for me, it was just, I didn't relate to being a young person and just getting my, out of my mind drunk. And I try, I did try a little bit of it. I knew that it was a way into meeting girls. I knew that it was a way to have a social scene, but I just, I tried it and I just couldn't make it work, you know? And, and I just felt terrible and it just took me out of the place I wanted to be in terms of energy and just getting shit done so it was never really really for me and i didn't relate to most of my people my age because everybody was out partying you know so i just uh, once again i'm in that place where you know i'm a young adult and i just i don't relate to a lot of people around me my brother steve was the same way and um so we did i don't remember how we started i guess it was probably through max rock and roll we just started hearing about this scene in dc 
and they just these crazy kids that were just drug free and 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 just but wild as fuck you know and and even violent and, and they like the you know they i mean one of the early dc slogans was fuck drugs let's fight you know they were they, there was a <laughs> there was a side of those guys that were they were badasses you know and so i sort of related to it because that's kind of what was going on in our little scene there was just a lot of you know a lot of skirmishes and people getting you know but um i but overall there was like a, a there was something to me that was just very appealing and and positive like it was basically young people saying we don't need drugs you know let's right. do we we can do we can still have fun and and go you know so did you at that time did you call yourself straight edge no i've never called myself straight you've edge. never called yourself no. straight edge, but i have seen pictures with you with an x on your hand oh no i i mean you know there's uh the first uh, <laughs> the Second time we played with Black Flag at the Mubuhe Gardens was Henry had joined and uh, we'd only written letters and uh, we Steve and I got to Mubuhe and, and we we just see this figure the just sitting in the corner it was so perfect he had a hoodie on and he was just sitting there <laughs> and we're like it's got to be Henry right like, that's Henry right and, but we didn't really totally know him except for the letters so finally we walked over and we're like Henry and he's like Kevin Steve hey man. And, you know, talked to us and he's like, man, we got to get you guys set up. And he just starts, hey, we got to, so he X'd us up. Oh, you can't, well, what stick. can you do? But the funny thing about that was we were all, the three oh, of us were the only at that, that night the place was packed and everyone's drinking. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have this on tape recorder because I smuggled in a tape recorder because it was monumental to me. And he says, this song is called, this is song is the DC Skino fight song. It's called Six Pack. And, <laughs> and it was his way of like pointing us like, we're the smart ones here. Everybody else here is wasted. And we're the like, because, you know, everybody was, I mean, you know, band, guys in Black Flag did acid and shit. But yeah. Was that the only time you X'd up? No, I mean, you know, I, I here's the thing. And I'm not trying to like catch you in anything. No, I just, it's I, interesting to me. I mean, this has been a big part of my life. No, no, no. I, I, I there were, there were times when, uh, like when you say it, the, when you say it the way you say it, it's like, I realize it's, it's the only time I realize, oh yeah, that's a thing. Like that's a thing that is, <laughs> X-ing it's up. supposed to, we're, you know, we're, you're supposed to do that. As, I never gave it that much thought, I have to say. And, and some, sometimes I sort of regret it because I think that it just, I mean, I relate to the straight edge thing. I understand it. I, I feel like I understood it at an early time before anyone did. And I've been taken to task by it because by younger bands, it just, you know, they want to poke at me because I just never really wanted to go, you know, I, because sure. early on I saw it being that thing of like, okay, that was going to be my fucking identity. And I'm, I'm more than that. I'm, I'm Maybe it's a bummer that I am. But I got more going on and I know I'm going to want to do other things. And if I have to deal with, I mean, if I have to be deal with like I'm straight edge dude being a fucking folk singer with an acoustic guitar, I don't know how to make that work. I don't know how to make that work so people are happy and I'm, you know, and then I just said, I don't want to do that. You know, I feel like I feel like straight edge, like for me personally, Mm -hmm. like it was a revelation when I found out about it. Absolutely. And and I I thought about it for a year. And then decided I was straight edge, and right. that's been. I, I'm I'm happy with with calling myself that and th- because and, you and, know who you are, right? And I know I'm more yeah. than that, yeah. but but it's it's a huge part of what's been important to yeah. me, and, and it's you know I think it's cool. And so the trick is though, is that what straight edge was when I first found out about it and decided that I was straight edge, and even just a few years later, when kind of another wave and big, you know, it, yeah. it changes. It's almost like once it got out of the laboratory, mm-hmm. it. It changed and evolved and moved at rates that no one really uh, totally understood. Yeah, and yeah. then it kind of settled into a thing like right. very late 80s, 
you know, late 80s, early 90s. Now you've got this straight edge that becomes a worldwide phenomenon where it hasn't changed from then till now. Right. Really, right? right? And I think there was an effort to apply those standards in reverse to the history of straight edge. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've had very serious arguments with very good friends of mine about whether you can be a straight edge band with a non-straight edge member <laughs> in the band. Of course, and yeah. I don't know if that situation existed prior to... Mm, like you know what i mean like were there any original straight edge bands where everyone was actually straight edge well that's the thing and that and that and and so early you know early on when it started to take and my first turnoff was when i heard that in boston boston crew was beating taking you know beating people up for having beer at shows right and i just said okay that i'm not down with yep um so now we're just violating people's rights because you know okay do that if that's what you need to do but I didn't dig it, and I knew Ian didn't dig it, and I knew that the people that I respected and loved and am friends with like weren't into it. So I was like, "All right, cool." Meanwhile, you know, because of our affiliation with that generation of minor threat, and also because in lyrics, I, there, you know, we've got songs about it that deal with it. Um, it was just sort of like, okay, this is this is where you guys go, and to this day, it's still like seven seconds, you know, uh, helped establish straight edge. In my mind, I don't know how we did other than maybe lyrically, but I was never, I never tried to. I've turned down more being in more straight edge documentary films than anyone could have even can imagine. And 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 the thing is, there were even times where I got threatened. Like there was a time we were going through Salt Lake City, and there was a rumor that because I had said I wasn't going to be in a documentary, that, that, that some guys were there to like talk to me about it. And it's like, oh Jesus. I'm just not, you know, like to me, it's like I'm I'm as straight edge as it fucking gets. Other than coffee, I, I dig it. I the idea of it appeals to me greatly, and it, and it was something that we needed, especially then. But then I watched the who, people that were even friends of mine, and even people whose records I put out and loved putting out, and I'm proud, turn into shedheads and 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 and, and enormous hypocrites, and you know the subject we talked about last night the guy oh you know, sure is a just like a, a huge motherfucking hypocrite and would be the and would, back then would be the first one to point fingers and go hey man what about this and it's like go ahead and point the finger at me you show me where i you've caught me drinking a beer smoking pot or hiding behind you know or you won't it doesn't exist it's sort of like i've had people go yeah you know i've smoked pot with you and it's like i know that didn't happen i know it didn't happen right so it's like you. Can, I have heard. I have had different people tell me they know their friend did it. Of course, people, people whose friend smoked with Ian mm-hmm. is just like people who are Mormon who's who know somebody from the church who was in a horrible accident but then didn't get hurt because they were wearing their garments, <laughs> which is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a story that that wow. Mormon concerned, and it's yeah. it's just as much not true. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I know for a fact. I mean, I've it's heard just Ian something say that's that you, of course. And and you know, Ian. <laughs> I mean, it, it. I don't even think that he would feel the need to hide it if he did. You know, it's just that. Uh, it. I just don't like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be a part of that kind of like rumor gossip. I mean, and now it doesn't matter because no one gives a shit. But it's it's just sort of like I saw it coming, and I I just I just didn't want that to be the emphasis of what defines me and I, I like never did have I strayed from it or it really it's just it's not it's something that is just a, my own personal thing I never wanted it to be something that I had to explain because I don't I can't explain it like what it means to you after you what you just said it makes sense to me but, but it is hard but to explain it's though. different you know like and 
And it got way harder to explain in my 30s. Of course. When I was working in casinos as a poker dealer. And that was, I'll tell you something, man. I, wow, it never yeah. was as difficult as when I'm off work and someone has spent money to buy me a drink yeah. and I'm not drinking it. And yeah. my boss is like, hey, man, that's not how we do things here. I'm right. like, oh, guess what? How yeah. I do things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And I had to start telling people that's tough. that I was in recovery. Really? Which is not the same. Because they can't understand you can't straight edge. Straight edge. <laughs> But like, if That's someone tries to buy you a drink, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, man, I'm in recovery, but I'm totally cool. <laughs> then it's like, then there's like one percent of people who are like, fuck that, we're taking you off tonight. Yeah, but that's those yeah. people are like, even your boss would be like, yeah, shut up, you know? Yeah. At that point. Well, I got that the other night. I was up in Lake Tahoe and I played a show, and this dude just was like, I'm buying you a shot, and I was like, I don't, I don't buy me, buy it for someone else. I don't drink. He bought it anyway, or got uh, it, and he came up, come on, man, just one. I was like, no, not even just, I don't even want to smell it. I'm just not my thing. And he's like, he actually assumed he goes. Uh, are you alcoholics anonymous and i was like no no i just don't drink and he's like he it, it was and, and i was like it's the only I thing almost people almost need accept. to have to do i have to have the strategy conversation i'm like i don't want to it's just <laughs> it's just so stupid and 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 it, it goes it's so much bigger than that like you know it's sort of like you know i get it and i get why thousands and thousands of, of kids relate to it and and are part of it and i'm down with that side it's I mean, an incredibly powerful it. thing it's it's great it's been Nothing, pretty much nothing but good. But, you know, I just have a beef with, you know, I, I remember just talking with uh, key popular figures in the straight edge movement later on and realizing, oh, they're not that straight edge anymore. And then seeing them still get up on stage and do their thing and watching kids just go, fucking yes, you know, and just going, fucking no, that's a fake line of bullshit. And, and I don't dig it. And even if they say, we still want to be uh, a good, ex- you know, a good uh, influence. Example or who, influence. Like, who, who, here's what I have a beef in the hardcore scene. When, who made up the rule that we needed role models in the hardcore scene? Who made the rules that we, every lead singer had to be a role model? I don't want to be a role model. Like, I want to be a human being. That but just, it happened anyway. It, it, But it, not because I wanted it to. You didn't set out. You didn't say, hey, if I write this album, people are going to be like, oh, that guy's a big deal. But you just did something honest and it happened but i but but you but you understand that like you know as a as an artist or musician or whatever the fuck you're really just trying to i mean we talked about this last night like all along even even how i came to the point of of understanding racism in around you know or sexism or homophobia that 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 we all go through and experience and see and we're we're affected by just coming to the points where i'm i'm comfortable with like myself and how i can deal with it it took so many years to just like understand what the fuck you know like am i angry about something or or you know did did i keep pushing when no you know someone said no did was i being a little more aggressive you know like it makes me very you know mm-hmm. and so that's an ongoing thing and i want it to be an ongoing thing i don't want to ever like i want to be 80 years old and still figuring shit out you know what yes. i mean I don't want to fucking figure. I I can't stand, and I never liked when some twenty-two-year-old kid said, "This is the way it is," and I'm like, "That's the way it is." You're twenty-two, and you have everything figured out. You fucking how how do you do this? Like you're insane to think that. And and and, and it's better if it's seeking than it's making a statement. Exactly. Seek, always seek. Always seek because that's that's how we're learning shit. And if you think that you're fucking fifty and you've got everything figured out. Take it from me. I'm 54. You don't. Like, there's things that, like, I, I'm learning. I've learned today. I guarantee just talking with you or, like, having a conversation with the four of us last night, I take it in and I'm like, man, that's cool. I just, I do feel like I learned something, you know? And it's, I just love that stuff. And I'm 
never going to have the desire. I know this in myself. I am never going to need to drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or take drugs or smoke pot. I don't need to. I I figured out a way to be happy and fucking high on life, as corny as that sounds. You know, I (laughs) don't call you straight edge. You can call me straight edge. I don't even have a problem. Just don't expect me to call me straight edge. You know, like I'm call me whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a shit. But like. Don't expect me. I don't want to be a spokesman for it because I'm not. I'm a lousy spokesman, obviously. <laughs> and I just, honestly, out of respect for a dear friend of mine, Ian McKay, like uh, Straight Edge. I've said this. It's such a. It's like a my pat answer now. Straight like Straight Edge is, a, is it was one of my favorite songs ever written in the hardcore. I love it. It's just boom, 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 boom. It's a brilliant song, and it needed to be said. But that's what Straight Edge is to me is is this, this great minor threat song, and it it it. it did it influence me? Not terribly because I was already that kid without knowing. But you see, edge. though, that's I think, though, the idea that someone would hear straight edge <coughs> who was already had already made up their mind about that stuff and then go, oh, yes, good counter argument. I will go straight edge. Mm-hmm. That's not the power of it. Mm-hmm. It's when you don't know exactly how you feel or you're figuring out how you feel yeah. and you hear that and you go. That's me. It's right. the recognition of yourself in someone else's yep. words. And there's something about the way that song is has come together and the words Absolutely. that are there and his delivery. Mm-hmm. Like it is it is a perfect storm. Yeah. I, of, and and I don't know other examples. I agree with you. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. all those other punk songs, you don't try to live your life by them. Nah, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's that philosophy. song you it's, go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll be I mean to to everything else this guy has to say pretty forever. much. Pretty much. <laughs> and you still do. You still I mean oh, I I, yes. I, I, I I listen for shit in the evens or the you know, like and and, and you know, I I it's, it's it's hilarious. It's like uh I you know, I, Ian Ian is one of those dudes that's just I, I say this all the time, but I'm like he he's like the one guy that just I can sort of uh I can always find like someone who I have great respect for and love who I can say yeah, you know, but he's also this fuck up, you know. Yeah. But I can never really say that about Ian. Like I like he always kind of did everything right. You know what I mean? And even his 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 his, his the way he looks at business and and the way he looks at it's all really right and sound. And I've t- I told him this. The last time I said it, I was like, "You know, I just can't he he'll give me shit because you know, I see him and he's like, "Man, you don't you never stay in touch anymore." I was like, "I know, I just don't want to fucking bug you. You're a busy guy." And he's like he actually said something. Does he still write letters? Oh, of course he does. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's great. He's and if I email and, and he, I mean, he still the emails. You know, he does a lot of email. But but there was a few years back. I booked. It was the first time I booked the Evens. They came through town, and he just said he he asked me if our coffee house was still open. He goes, you know, we, we you want us you want to book us, and I was like, well, we just closed. But let me look around and let's see if I can find a place. So I found uh, um, a uh, an Indian restaurant that that I was I'd done some shows, and I said, if you guys don't mind, it's cool, Delphigia. We can charge whatever you want and we'll get a good crowd. And it was great. It was like 200 people on a Wednesday night. It was perfect. Nice. But we hadn't seen each other in, in a couple of years. And he, we were talking and a couple of people were taking photos of us and whatever. And then uh, he said, man, you know, you, you just, you, and you never stay in touch anymore. I don't know what you're up to. And I was like, yeah, I know. I just, I, you know, I feel like I'm bugging you in. Da, da, da. And he got really offended. He's like, dude, like, how long have we known each other? I was like, I know, I know. And he, he always, I think he looks at me like, he's, he's said funny things. Like he'll look at me and just go, why are you still, like, he thinks it's funny that I still go out and do this. Like I, he'll come and see me playing acoustic and he loves it. He seems really sporty, but he's just like, 
what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're, what are you doing? Man? You know, and, and, and I tell him, I'm like, I ask that question all the time. Like, I don't totally know. But yeah, that night he said, here's the thing. And it was such a brilliant thing. And I never say it when I repeat this that he said, but it, I knew what he meant. And he, and he basically said, always know that you're invited to the party. Like, there's a party. I always know you're invited. And and I was like, nice. that's kind of goofy. And, it, and I was like, no, I see what he's saying. Like, I don't have to worry about I'm bugging him. Cause I can, I'm, I'm invited to the party. And I thought that's really a cool thing to tell a friend. Like, you know, cause right. I think and that there's about, a lot of people that aren't invited to the party. That's right. And it isn't, you know, it is kind of an, like, he, you know, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, people go, you're such a friendly guy. You'll talk to anybody. And it's like, the truth is, is that, you know, I'll chit chat and talk shit with anybody sometimes, but my friends and the people that I really, really relate to, it's a small group and it's not. I don't try to do that. It's just that I just don't have a lot of time just for bullshit in my life. There's so much of it that I even bring to myself that I don't want. And it's like I want I never want to look at people and hate them. You know, I don't want to just be disgusted by everything about human beings because I can get close. Yeah, I, I mean, I can get those moments where it's like I just want to be around my wife and my dogs and cats. And that's it. I don't want to be that dude, you know, like because then you miss out on this stuff or going out to shows and seeing something great. So anyway, I got way off the subject. No, that's, trust me, that's <laughs> that's the subject. That's And it goes where it goes anyway. Like, that's that's what I want. But that's I want to just make it clear, I am not anti-straight edge, not even in the least. And I understand why people feel the need to put that on them and, and live it. I do. I totally get it. I just, I just want, I just, I, I'm not uh, comfortable doing it for myself. Not so that I'm giving myself, I've been accused of this. So you're giving yourself an out in case you break edge. And it's like, right. see, <laughs> that's edge. the difference between you and I. I don't ever think about it because that'll never happen. I'm not the guy that went out on, and, and, and I'm, I had a really interesting conversation with Ray <clears throat> Kappa years ago. It was when Seven, uh, Seven Seconds took Youth of the Day out for their first uh, West Coast tour. I actually played drums with Youth of the Day because their drummer nice. quit. And we're in the van and everybody's like, they're just starting to get popular in a lot of letters. And it's like, man, I just, you know, there's all these people, man, trying to hold, you know, they're like nailing me to the wall. I was like, dude, you did that. That's what you did. And you better get used to it because like people, you're saying something that's resonating with a lot of people. And I could tell he was just like, shit, I don't even know if I'm ready for this. And I was like, get ready. And he did, you know, for the most part. But I mean, you know, that's the thing that I've been terrified for my for my entire like adult punk rock life is like I don't really want to be anybody's role model. Like if you if you find something in lyrics that you relate to, that makes me so happy. And if you want to talk about it, I'm down with that. But we got to do it on a level of like we're let's just try. If we're not friends, let's just try and become friends. Sure. And don't I you know quickly try and just realize that you and I are just fucking the same. And I don't want to. Because also there's like sometimes that's it, hard for a kid. Totally, when you're to a young understand. person and you and you and and people are just like putting you on this thing, you can turn into a piece of shit. You're no, like, but I mean it's also hard for a kid re- who's, oh, who's discovering your gotcha. lyrics, and even yeah. if you're just you know to, to be like this guy's my buddy. Because because if I, I try to approach you that way, you'd be like, "Who the hell are you?" you I know, know, but it's like if if you, I just say if you want to if you want to be in my life, you got to meet me halfway. And I and I because I'm not comfortable. I don't know how to be. I've never known how to be the guy that you might in your mind think that I am. And it's usually something like the Kevin seconds that you remember from like the guy with the kid with the black and you know, like you're never gonna see that kid. Like right. even then, you wouldn't have seen and you would have saw what you wanted to see. But the truth of the matter is, is that. You know, I was really just trying to figure shit out and I was really trying to keep from 
dealing, I was dealing with, I mean, my entire life of dealing with just moments of severe anxiety and mild depression, but not so much, but just trying to find my own way in life and trying to understand that I'm not just a, you know, I'm not a piece of shit. Like I have worth and why I'm worthy of having an amazing woman in my life or amazing friends or, you know, like that stuff's all shit that I'm still trying to figure out. And I, I just have to do it that way. And if I, I feel like if I, settle for any one or two things it's just going to put me in this like pigeonhole that i'm not going to be able to really accurately represent when it's needed or you know if i'm the guy for that moment that needs to speak out i'm gonna fucking fuck it up and they're like no man he was supposed to say all the cool things and he said nothing you know and it's like <laughs> are you are you trying to say you can never pick another man's beans <laughs> I don't think that's that's great, you know. So I I texted Pete, and he actually instead of just this is this is so Pete Kramick, I love it. He's like, so I texted Maybe I him. I won't cut it out. I don't know. You tell me. Do I cut this out? <laughs> well, ask Pete if he's if he's done. I don't care. But I said, I, you know, because I wrote I wrote him earlier. You say hey, it was great to see you. I love you and stuff. And then I I said, uh, what did he say? He said, oh, he, he said bring Al and camp out for a bit next time. And I said I will. And was it you can't pick another man's beans? And then instead of saying, yeah, that's what I said, he says, yes, you can't. There's <laughs> disappointment in any beans. You don't want that on you. <laughs> Pete really should be a stand-up comic. So, dude, I almost said that to him twice twice last night. He said things that were so funny last night. Somebody, they kind of blew my mind. Uh, the, uh, Kelsey, was it Kelsey that told me that she's been trying to talk him into doing like stand-up comedy? And I was like... Because, you know, Jason... His delivery is incredible. He's, inc- he's always been that way. He's always been really quick and funny. And and even, like, he says something and you just go, holy shit, that's fucking funny. Like... You heard it here first, people. <laughs> we, we should start it. Let's start it. What's the thing where you can do? The petition? Change... We, we, we will get a petition change. to make Pete be a stand-up comic. <laughs> oh, so no, I had to make a choice last night between black beans and pinto beans. Yeah, tell the backstory so this isn't just some This is just at, at the burrito place and uh and I think I was I think I asked for some advice since I'd never eaten at the place before what was best for my uh I think it was called orange camaro burrito or something like that. And uh when I asked for that advice Pete chimed in, you can't pick another man's beans. Yeah. And yeah. it seemed very astute. When he did it so dry that it almost was like it was almost like that's yeah, that's something to think about and then you're like do you realize what he just said? <laughs> I just thought it was funny that you actually. A- I thought it was very funny that you actually asked. Like, like there was you, you, almost like you needed some help in picking. I thought that was like. Well, if that because I like to pretend. So we're at a uh, late night bar burrito joint in Olympia, <coughs> um, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to still act as if I was in some expensive hoity-toity restaurant right, where I okay, get the. Gotcha. I mean, is it going to bring back? You know, <laughs> let me smell the cap, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy, oh, I thought the guy. I don't, right. Sometimes I also just want to gauge like the quality, like you know, yeah. is this guy? He may have to put up with some shit from us because right. we're gonna be here for a while, possibly getting louder, laughing, yeah, telling happened. stories. And how much is this guy gonna take? And that guy was cool. Oh yeah, and I figured it out. Like yeah. that's what you know. So mm-hmm. I just that's kind of sometimes how I'll do it. That's true. Well, because you did say what's good. Like, like I I love it when my friends or my wife does it too. She's like, what's good? And I I never think to ask that. I'm like, well, they would know. And I think like when I worked, I was I've been a waiter, and it was it was kind of kind of nice when someone had asked like. You mean like my opinion? Maybe can you like you you're acknowledging that I'm a human and I might have a anyway. Yeah, that was great. Definitely. Okay, so uh, right. that was that's a, a nice little that diverges off what we were talking about. 
<laughs> and uh, let's go. I don't even know if I use that word right. We're gonna talk about I'm burritos. Kinda, I'm kind of dumb. Um, no, I want to get so. There was at the very beginning, I, I kind of combined all the questions together. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the straight edge stuff. We've talked about connecting with other people from other scenes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the records and doing the record label. Okay. Um, well, the first record label I ever did was Positive Force, which initially we started out as just a group of people. Uh, me and uh, Bessie Rex, who was in an all-girl, one of the early all-girl bands in hardcore called the Rex that never really they just got a nice little write up in a in a dangerous minds blog which was really cool cuz they never thought they got there they didn't have enough stuff out so it was kind of they got ignored but they were so early pre pre riot girl punk rock like like strong independent smart girls rocking out and stuff but um they were sort of our when we first started they were the girls that were at our first show and on and our biggest supporters and they started and they became like our sister band for one of a better term and we just loved him i still do and um bessie and i were just i don't know we thought alike and you know we're both sober clean straight edge fun loving kids and we loved punk rock she did a zine called paranoia which was amazing and just super creative and just funny crazy weird humor and um we just related early on so i think it was just always for me it was always just like i wanted a way to figure out how to collaborate with Bessie I didn't know that we could do a musical thing together because I was so wound up with seven seconds and she was doing Rex and and uh the fanzine thing wasn't really happening so I think just starting a group of like-minded young people that wanted to try to do something more than just we wanted to do shows but we also wanted to be sort of connected to our community in the city and so we were doing everything from canned food drives to. So like, the idea is it was a collective. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a record label. It was not a- at first. In, in the back of my mind, it was always going to be because I just wanted to have. I wanted to have Discord Records and Reno is what I wanted to do. So I was so okay. Jump in on you real mm-hmm. quick. So when I first discovered this stuff, right, I see this name Positive Force. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, and I see uh, another state of mind, right? right. And they present. At the beginning of another state of mind, this concept of the better youth or the BYO, mm-hmm. the better youth organization. Right. And I didn't know about labels. I didn't know about any of this stuff. But I started getting this idea that there was this kind of like underground group of organizations that were like behind the idea of, of um, you know, of this, this, you could be better. You know, you could yeah. do something to yeah. better yourself. And that wasn't. I, I don't know. It, it That wasn't really real, but maybe that's why a year later, Straight Edge was like, oh, that's the thing I was looking for. Well, <laughs> it, but it, but a, it was know? real, though. It was real. And, and I mean, there were groups. There was a group before Better BYO called New Youth Organization out of the Bay Area. San and it Francisco. wasn't a record label. It was actually just like a social or like it a... Was, no, it was young people and they were a little more, they were very political, very leftist, like socialist, like, but they, they did benefits. They actually were responsible for... Uh, when the Clash played San Francisco the first couple times, they did benefits for New Youth Organization. Like they, like they were really connected, and they were trying to do. They wanted to do shows. They wanted to promote punk rock, but they wanted to do more than just be. You know, we put on shows at a club. They wanted, and and they were my first inspiration before I knew what BYO was doing. I didn't know. I mean, we had started talking to Mark and Sean Stern. We knew that they were putting on these great shows and doing benefits, but they were. A little less political, at least back then. They were just like they were filling a void. Like Hollywood, there wasn't anything going on in Hollywood. There was stuff going on in Orange County, but it was like you know clubs and a lot of vinyls. So Better Youth wanted BYO wanted to do something positive and keep you know. So 
It, it, it was similar to the strategy thing. You realize okay. that there were other people around the country that were sort of thinking the same way you were thinking. They were just getting shit done. And it was like, that's sort of why I think strategy was initially so appealing to me was because they were not only do we agree on a lot of things, but they were just getting a shitload of stuff done. I think that's cool, though, because it, I've always assumed that I just read it wrong. You yeah. know, like I'm like, no, this was just a record label. That was just a record label. It wasn't like mm-hmm. it was a it wasn't like it was as much of a philosophy, but it was. Yeah, You're it, saying was. it was. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and even that movie, you know, the, just the idea of booking a tour on your own and, and, and bringing a bunch of people together and doing it. I mean, you know, in the end, they just it all fell apart. But, you know, it was just it's just the, the act of fucking getting it going. Do something fucking think about some of this shit and try to make it work. And and and. So, and They've been, they did great. So yeah, BYO was huge. And then, um, you know, back then you could just write letters and pick everybody's brain and say, you know, we want to do this. We want to kind of have our own thing. I tried for years. I had all these different names, United Front, da 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 da. It was always something, you know. And, <laughs> like and it sounds a little nationalist. I got it. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. And I that that was a big reason why I didn't use it. I I still have some. I made these this little station a letterhead. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but. <laughs> I mean, it just was like it was in me to do something like that, and I couldn't find enough uh, people to to back or, or work with me. Every you know, like no one really wanted to do the work. They just were like, "Yeah, it sounds cool, whatever," but they wouldn't. So I just thought the best way to do this is we just keep doing shows. We'd already started doing shows. Um, while we do it, we can we can like ask everybody, look, bring a couple cans of food and get a dollar or two off the you know the three dollars that you would pay anyway. And, and then once we started that, we would fill up barrels and we would just take them down to the local food places, you know. And what Bessie was great about was that she made me think about things that I didn't even think about. For one, she she would insist that we would go and interview the people we were donating the food to to make sure that it wasn't just all about making people listen to a fucking sermon just to get a bowl of soup. She she was like, let's try to go after people that are just like, look, we're just trying to feed people, you know. And I was like, that's brilliant. You know, that, that's exactly it. You don't, I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to go to a ministry and, you know, if, you, if you're religious, you don't give a shit. You'll do whatever it takes to get a sandwich. But if, what if you're not, you know? Yeah. So Bessie had that, she had that way. And she really was my partner in that term. She, she, we were very equal and we were always sitting together once, two or three times a week. We just have meetings. And because of that, that sort of got, that stimulated a lot of people locally. And they were like, yeah, I want to be a part of this, you know? And at first, we I mean, we, I remember having 25 people at meetings and I was like, wow, this is great. It's really taking. But I also knew that I bet in a week it's going to be seven. And right. Gonna, and, it, and sure enough. So my <clears throat> my then girlfriend, Angie, was involved and we had a group of about five of us that really did all the legwork and we all had a thing. And we were, I also was the scene reporter in Maximum Rock and Roll, so I could talk about it a lot. And everyone was just like, this is great. And um, before long, we had some kids in... I think Chicago was the first group of people that said, hey, we want to start a positive force chapter in Chicago. And I was like, fuck, that's great. You know, what do you, you know, <laughs> we got no money. I don't know what, you know, do what you do what we're doing, you know. So they tried. I don't know if it ever took off. But then Vegas had the first real organized positive force chapter. And it involved my ex-girlfriend, Michelle. And she was just so active in the Vegas scene. And they were doing benefits and shows and anti-nuke stuff because that was a big because nevada is a big test you know so they were really getting involved and they were they were dealing with issues that we hadn't even thought about so it just you know it was started to take off a couple other people had talked to us and then mark anderson from dc contacted me and i just was like yeah that'd be great i you know dc is like this 
It's, I love it. Everything about DC. So it, that was just the most incredible thing. But really, DC, you know, Mark took off and did it. What He did the right thing. He did everything right and did what I would have loved to have done had I not just been more into just being in a band and wanting to put out records. And that right. was that really was ultimately <clears throat> what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have a cool label. And I love the name and I love the connection to the activist, the activism part. So, you know, it just on our side, it just became less of a, a group that did stuff. And it just became more of a label thing. And uh, we just I just watched Mark Anderson just go nuts with Positive Force DC. And it, it became, you know, what it is today. But nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I guess I knew that that was connected and was something that was not a label. That was not, a, you know, mm-hmm. it was more than that. So mm-hmm. it just was not my original. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I thought when I was 15 or 16 years old <laughs> and just had no way to find out about anything other yeah. than these little snippets that I was getting. So I was kind of making up ideas in my head about this. Sure. I wish it was like this. And then it was Something always amazing. Was it was always amazing when <laughs> when some things were like what I had created right. the, the, when when the fiction of my head matched up with reality anywhere i went oh yes yes <laughs> i hear you man boy oh boy that's true in most of the cases it's always different but yeah i mean in the label you know was just really i just felt at, at the time I, I i would have loved nothing more than to just put out reno bands you know had mm-hmm. there been enough we just didn't have enough and we and the, the we did have some great bands but you know i always thought that because seven seconds was really starting to get a name outside of reno and We'd go on tour and we'd come back and everybody would just be like, you guys are, you know, you're putting Reno on the map. And I thought, well, let's good help. Let's keep it going. Like when we leave, don't let don't let shit die. Like, put, you know, you've worked with us. You know how to put on shows. But, every, you know, every time we'd leave, we'd hear like, yeah, somebody got stabbed at a Bad Marine show. And there was no one was at the door. So everybody got in and the bands to get paid. And I was like, no, you know, this is too easy. Like, you don't have to be, you know, an idiot like all the time, you know, and if you agree to do something, follow through with it, you know, so I just became a little, I think as we toured more, I became really more into the idea that the best way I could do anything is just to try to help young bands that no one, there was not going to be any, you know, a label that was going to put great shit out, you know, if they didn't, you know, live in the same town or, so because we were touring and starting to see bands all over the country, I was just like, wow, you know, and, and Youth of the Day being in the first, really. I just liked them. They were funny, great, intelligent guys. They just had a lot, tons of heart. And they were just like, man, we're going to do it. We got a new band. You know, I, I knew Ray from Violent Children. And there was a moment in one of our early Connecticut shows that the original Anthrax were, you know, he was, um, Ray was seeing a girl, Becky, and he wanted to, he asked me if it was cool if he could sing Trust to her. And it was very sweet. And everybody nice. was like, oh my God. And it just <laughs> solidified everything, you know. Hey, but, what what was the, um? I'm, I'm going to ask some seven second specific questions here in a minute, but what is the... What is your favorite thing that came out on Positive Force that people don't know about that that is has been less received than you think it should have been? Oh shit! Um, God, man, that's a good question. I I loved the um, I loved the Division. There was a band called Division. Yep. It was a Reno band, and and I just at that point I just didn't. Uh, there, there was a lot of stuff going on, and we had a distribution deal with a couple people, and we got ripped Did off. Did they have and, a seven inch and an mm-hmm, LP mm-hmm. or a twelve inch? I don't know if it was a full. It was LP. a twelve. It wasn't it. Yeah, and. And just mainly because it was just like, uh, you know, we had a Reno band that was like we could put out, and they were and I thought they were good. They, they were great, and they actually toured, they you know, and 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 stuff. Um, 
there was a band called War on the Saints that I just I loved and and we tr- did that record come out? God, it's been so long ago. I want to say that we did our limited run. They were from Rockford, Illinois, and they, they this was sort of like I'm a big like squirrel bait and like that era of, of mm-hmm. bands that were like post hardcore almost. But they just um, they were sort of in that vein. I know there was just a, they were like there were a few bands. I mean, I loved everything I did. I just got too crazy. We got a, a distribution deal, and I was just basically playing with somebody else's money. Yeah, because you know, like I could, I had to come up with the money for the pressing. But then, like they were like, well, just you know, then they'd help us after a certain amount. So I was, you know, because the youth of today, uh, token entry, verbal assault records, and the seven seconds stuff did so well. I was like, fuck, we're on to something big here. So I just got nuts. I, 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 I thinking they would all be that successful. It, no, or, or just not really. Just going, hey man, you know, we'll make this work, you know, and 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 I, I also like all my favorite labels were just putting out so much stuff, you know, Discord and Touch and Go and BYO. So I was like, we can do this, you know. But I wasn't. The thing was, is had I committed and stayed home and and just not been so, I would. My thing also was just like I'm committed to Seven Seconds. We're touring now. We're finally where we want to be. We're gonna not fuck it up. Let's just yeah. keep touring. If I could have just been home more often and 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 could have gotten to understand how it worked, mail order. I just got behind. And then once I got behind, I was just like trying to catch up, and I couldn't. I mean, I would come home and they, my post office where we got our stuff, would just have boxes of stuff of letters and and money orders and i mean i remember even up to maybe 10 years ago i had an old storage space and i had boxes of stuff that i never even looked at i just packed it and i went through it one day and i i still found like orders that hadn't even been opened like oh money orders the kids kids sent money orders and i never even they never yeah. even opened it and you, you know? never knew that you even had because i was gone and and, <laughs> and my girlfriend angie at the time tried to do it for a while and she just got over i mean she did she just was overwhelmed it just was i wasn't prepared for it and and i really didn't i mean i didn't think it was going to be a big label i just thought we'd do some cool shit and keep it but i wasn't prepared for like the popularity of youth of the day and you know verbal assault and certainly with seven seconds i mean I, even you know it to me anytime we've sold a, a decent amount of records i'm still going really who's buying it you know like it's just it's the funniest thing so it n- none of it really was i wasn't cut out you know i i probably could have learned something in some kind of business class but i just wasn't cut out to understand and meanwhile i'm watching like close friends of mine who are just so good at it like ian was just like he drew up his own how it's going to be and it went that way yeah. you know it's a rare thing. It's really rare, ah, you know. He's, he's, he's touched by something magic, right? You know, and like he's he just charmed. He, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even right down to in in how he, you know, he's managed to save everything. He's got you know all the original. You know, he'll show you like the drawn sheep. You know, I mean, just in, like, <laughs> stuff oh, that people would just go. Oh, I'm right. looking at it. You know, but he's legitimate got, he's artifacts got belong in a museum. It, it is. If the Discord House now is a museum, like they don't. There's one guy I think that lives there, and they have a guest room for their friends. I, you know, you can stay there, but it's mostly just. I mean, now the Discord operations across the street. Right. But the old office that was as smaller yeah. than this. It's still kind of it's set up the same way, and it it really is just a it's it's so that when people come to town, you can go yeah here it is and you know oh that's awesome it's great I and love and that. and and it's the one you know it makes sense like I like he's he's archived everything like he's got everything's filed and 
I never thought about that. I mean, I've got a lot of this shit, but I just have it in boxes and it just sits there and I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to get rid of it because it's just not your brain isn't set up to, to put to it to archive it that way. That's it's it. fine. Like, I mean, and there's still a part of me that's just like, who the fuck wants this shit? But, you know, <laughs> someone does and someone wants to maintain it. And so that's why I don't destroy it or get rid of it or give it to some person that's just going to shit on it, you know? Right. But yeah. It's a. Uh, so yeah, we did. You know, the label took off, and 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 probably could have really. I mean, I've had so many different people from Fat Mike to all these different people say, "Dude, if you could have just gotten it together and and got you know, you'd be a millionaire right now." And I'd be like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, whatever." But just it was sort of too much too soon, and uh, I didn't understand how to. I didn't. I went against the advice of people like Ian, and instead of just working my ass off, saving a bunch of money. I took the easy route and, and took a P and D deal, mm-hmm. which was like, and you know, at the time I'm glad I did, I did the same it. thing with my label yeah. on excursion. And then when someone else goes belly up, there's my money, you know? So we, <laughs> I mean, we were owed so many thousands of dollars that we could have, I could have done the, the youth of today album. They wanted to do a positive for it. Verbal assault wanted to do a, you know, a token entry wanted to do that. Everybody wanted to do the next record on positive force, but I wasn't prepared. I couldn't, I didn't have the, I didn't have my own money and I'd been, like within the first two years, I'd been burned by three different distributors that did just said, we're not, what are you going to do? Sue us. And I was yeah. like, no, no, I can't. Cause I can't afford a fucking attorney. <laughs> and you know that you motherfuckers. So it was just, I got burnt out and, uh, I really was just like, I don't know. I don't know how I can make this work. And so I just put all my time into seven seconds and pos- positive force just kind of fizzled out, you know, and, but kept going in the form of positive force DC. The, the, yeah. The, the organizational part of it is absolutely, it, it really is what positive force is now, as much as I would love to, you know, I, I sat for the interview for the film and, and I told Mark, I said, as much as I want to take, you know, you're, you're being very sweet and respectful for leaving late, but really you've made it into what it should have been. Like you took what it, the promise of it and you made it. And, and I'll always be really proud of him for doing and them for doing it because they made it what I would have given anything to do. We also weren't in a city. I mean, DC is pretty special. Like, you know, right. there's a, in Reno, you know, you, you pretty much have to rebel against everything. Cause there's not much to, you know, so we were coming from a pretty different place, but yeah. Okay. Let me jump into the seven seconds records. Okay. Um, I have a very specific question for you. Okay. Solve something for me. Yep. Walk together, rock together. The record? Yes. The song? Yes. The last verse? Um, re- refresh my uh, memory. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm actually getting... Uh, <laughs> and never be denied. Uh-huh. Then you say something else. You uh, sing something else there. I, I have to I have to have it I have to sing it in my head or hear it because I'm I, when I, I uh, walk together from now on and never be, be denied. Uh, oh, what uh, are you saying there? And I'm gonna tell before you tell me what it is. Bill Baker, episode three of this of this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known him since we were little kids. We got into seven seconds together. He was with me at that '88 show, the uh, the Circle Jerks, you guys down at Community World Theater. He has maintained since we got that record that you are saying guns and ammo. No, <laughs> I know I you're know not. I, I know you're that. not saying that, but he sings that at that part of the song. That's fucking <laughs> see and guns that, and ammo. I almost want to just leave it at that. I do. I'm not kidding me. I'm not kidding you because I had to sit here and just in my head go, "What did I say?" And now I'm realizing what I said, and it really isn't important. I was. It was a. 
I don't even want to say what it was. You're not gonna. You're gonna make me go I to my grave so. not knowing. It's yeah. actually. You know what? I think I really respect that decision because leave some mystery. Well, and but not, if you and, tell me, I'll listen. And not just that, but we, like, it, like I like. It, so I do this thing in the recording. So I don't do it much anymore because I because now I understand the process because I can I I've engineered records and I understand. But back in the early days, I never even though if I was listed as producer, I produced nothing. I stood. I was the only one that would sit through the entire session. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to learn, but we were also working with mostly guys that just didn't really know what they were like. Yeah. The crew was recorded with a dude that had worked on metal blade records, like metal records. And like, I think he was on a striper or striker, whatever that, yeah. the Christian rock. Yellow order. and black attack. Yeah. It's a lot like a red and black attack. Ooh, I didn't think about that. But, you know, it was like he really hadn't worked with just a, a, a scrappy little hardcore band. And so... It was our first time where there was a label that was paying for it, and, and they spent, you know, back then it was a good amount of money, and we just didn't, ha- we had no idea. Like, I remember listening to back to the guitar tracks, and he had put all of this reverb on it, which to, is what you hear. And I said, so later on we can take that. And he goes, yeah, 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 no problem. Well, it turned out he printed it in a way where that stuff could not be taken out, so the record got made with all of this weird. To me, the record now it's become the way the record sounds, but. It. I wanted an in-your-face. I wanted, if you were listening to headphones, it's just like poison idea. That's what I wanted in my mind. But I didn't know how to communicate that, and I couldn't just go, get the fuck out of here. I'm going to do this. Right. So a lot of things when I would go in the studio was, I mean, the first few records we did, I would make everyone leave because I was so embarrassed to sing in front of people. All they could hear was just the isolated vocal oh, track. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> now I'm fine. When we did this last record, we did all the vocals down in, in Southern California, and then we had the guy come up, and we recorded all the backing because we wanted some friends to sing with us. I was sitting there doing everything, and, and everyone's just around me, and I was like, I could have never done that 20 years right. ago. It's just I it was too self-conscious. But there would be moments where I'd want to fill up space with with something. Uh, whoa, and I, I was sick of saying whoa, 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 or yeah. Right. Or something. So I would just quickly think of something and a lot of stuff is just stuff that i just was like and i'll even go why did i don't remember why i said that so that little thing is one of those moments and you didn't put it in lyric sheet i didn't because it was like a quick little vamp thing but it was just like a um it there was a meaning to why i said it and I do know what I said, but I also mumbled it. I mumbled it because yeah, yeah, I was why I can't. I've I never been able to. Do you know how many times I've listened to that to try to figure it out <laughs> over the years? And then I just, I just gave up. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, there's there's a few of those, and and people every once in a while ask me, and uh, there's a yeah yeah I don't know. All right, man. I already brought up New Wind, mm-hmm. how important that was to me, but that was an issue, and your guys. Sound change was an issue for people. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about this. When you look at what was happening, like with the DC scene, you mm-hmm. get the whole revolution summer thing and you get really amazing music. The, and, and I'm not, it's not my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just what it is. Yeah, I'm just yeah, put yeah. The, you, you start looking at stuff like Embrace and Right Spring and Degnassi. I don't want to hear anybody tell me that that's not awesome. Right. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time, I mean, but those are the new, that's the new sound from these guys who mm-hmm. are doing like hardcore, right? And it's just still hardcore elements, but you know what I mean? And punk rock stuff from the old days. So, so all around the country, other bands are going out on these new paths with their sounds. Yeah. And it doesn't like, in a lot of ways, it doesn't seem to, to bands are going metal, right? Or, and maybe kind of glam or whatever, but, yeah. um, 
I guess I feel like like it it why was this happening? Why did this happen to everyone? And I mean, where it really worked with the DC stuff, um, I felt like it worked with you guys. I mean, I'm I know that that may be a minority opinion. Well, you still play some of those songs though. Yeah, a little, a few of them. Yeah, you play like Satyagraha. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Satyagraha. Satyagraha. Yeah. Um, which for me is always a highlight when I see you guys play. Fun, I yeah. love it. Um, but um, what 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 happened? I I can speak for the other bands, but I do know for us, um, like eighty five, we well by eighty five we had done, I think four or five big gas tours, two month long tours. You know, we were pretty seasoned already, and so, uh, and we were wit- witnessing just an insane amount of violence at every show, not just like oh, and you know, key cities every show. There was just like stupid fights, and and early on because we were doing. Uh, back then, you know, we were always playing Fender's Ballroom, which really in Long Beach, which was ground zero for the most violent shows you could ever possibly imagine. Like mm-hmm. uh, that was when I was schooled, like, oh, people get stabbed, people bleed out at shows, you know, like I'd never, I'd heard that might happen, but I'd never. So it became very, I was conflicted by it because I just couldn't get my mind wrapped around the idea that people were getting hurt at a show of ours. Like, and, and I, started to take maybe i took myself a little too seriously in the sense that i thought there's something that i must do you know and yet not having any idea because you know the best i could do is just get up and plead you know like plead with people please you know stop which is is what i did exactly what i did um but i started to get uh just feeling really responsible for stupid shit that was going on and knowing this isn't my heart this isn't what i'm I'm, I know I mean, there are bands that are trying to incite fucking fighting and riots. That's part of punk rock's tradition, unfortunately, whether you like it or not. But that's not what I'm trying to do. And I know that's not what my boys are trying to do. And uh, it just became – because at the time we were sort of a known band that we were pulling in a lot of people. And, and, and uh, we were getting – you know, L.A. had a, a lot of gangs, punk gangs, and they would all show up at the shows. And all of them would show up. And I, I got in this thing where I started to try to, you know – form have meetings before the show and talk with the leader of one dude gang and (laughs) and say and my my stock thing was is like you know we've driven we drove 400 miles it it was a tough trip and we're you know we're not making a lot of money and there are kids that are driving from all over the place and they're spending money and we just want to have a good show for them and please like work with me and just if you can just hold off fighting until it's over and i would literally say this to suicidal guys or the lads or whatever and the the top guys and for whatever reason they all had a little it's sort of like the toughest guys from new york you know they always had a little weird respect for us a little bit they they, there's enough like goodwill to where they're like yeah let's not fuck with these guys they're good guys you know and um I would just try and take advantage of that and just say, you know, it just it would mean everything to us if we just don't want anyone to get hurt at the shows and and you know da 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 and 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 it would work for the most part. They would stop for that hour or two hours or four hours, but I was just coming home feeling depressed and not feeling happy. And meanwhile, everyone's like, "It's so great! I love Seven Seconds. You're changing my life." You know, I'm hearing, I'm getting these letters, like five page <laughs> letters, and I'm seeing people crying at our shows and people coming up and guy kids boys just hugging me and not letting go and just going thank you you know and i'm like it seems like things are going good but then there's this you know and i just didn't know how to i was too immature and too uh sensitive and too conflicted in my own problems to to understand how to deal with it 
And on the side, I was always writing songs and wanting to do a side project just just for fun. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the the new in stuff was stuff that I just was kind of playing. We would play in our practice space and just go. We should just call it have a new name. And 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 really, we I was I thought about having a man a name called like a name like. Uh, you know calendar or you know just something that alluded to seven seconds but it wasn't and so initially a lot of that stuff was just going to be a side project that was going to be a different band and i sometimes i still sort of regret we didn't do that but then sometimes i'm really glad we did it because we just did what we wanted to do we, yeah. we it didn't matter i mean at the height of when if we would have made the next walk together rock together you know we 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 would probably financially be in better shape and those records would still be selling you know i mean our records still sell well but it's just like i just didn't want to cop out and i didn't want to you know i i we also just wanted to sort of we were on this big kick to show that hardcore wasn't one dimensional that there was more going on and of course the dc stuff they were pulling it off. They also had a great studio that they could record this shit and make it. They could still be snarly and da da da, but you know, it was passionate and sensitive. We never were able to pull it off. I don't like the sound of those records. I don't like the way they. I like. There's things that I would love to change. I hate the reverb on my voice. It's very it's, up through it, which record? New way, new end. The, the, the mm -hmm. L.A. recorded stuff that walked together, rocked together. The stuff that we did with Ian sounds great to me. Had we done that whole record there, I would have. It, I, I know it would have come out the way that we wanted it. But we recorded in L.A. and I love the studio, Radio Tokyo. But we just didn't. Again, we didn't know enough about the process. And okay, and you're not talking about praise or going forward from there. All all of those um, praise record could have been amazing in turn. I love the material. I love the songs. They mean they have great meaning to me for stuff that I can't even talk about. But. Um, we, rec we we were on the road. My voice was shot. We went in. We had two days to record with this guy that we really wanted to work with him because we loved Huskadu and Replacements Records, and we got to record with the guy. And it was just too rushed, you know. Steve wasn't involved. He was at the band for a while, and that was very. I was I was holding on to that and very upset about it because I knew he should have been there, and he was going through his own stuff in his own life, and and not taking away from Joe, our bass player, because he was he's still a close friend, and I love him. But it was just we were going through so many weird things, and uh, we just didn't get to record them the way that I would have liked, you know. And throughout the years, we we're like, let's just re-record it, you know. And then we finally were just like, who cares now, you know? <laughs> but what you just said a second ago, which is like, you know, a lot of people like disagree. There has been a huge turnaround now, massively. Like the majority of stuff people want to now hear. I'm not even kidding. I don't. Yeah, I ourselves, don't. I don't hear as much of it anymore. It was just back then. It's crazy. It's crazy now to the point where we've even had promoters say, "Just come and play like our just do ourselves or just do Soul Force Revolution a show." And and we've thought about it. I mean, it's not. It's not like we don't. We stop thinking about it. It, it. But here's the thing. <laughs> you know, it, it's like. We've always, I think, I always say this about some seconds. We've always been the band that was either just a little ahead of our time or, or just a little behind. You and missed so, trends. You guys went back hardcore when everything, when the nineties, when everyone was getting signed with the pop punk stuff. You guys went back to hardcore. <laughs> we just don't get it. We're like our time. We're just our rhythm is shit. And and part of it is like that's just us. That's the fucked upness of seven seconds. That's why. 30, 30 years and still going wrong. That's the whole concept. <laughs> and we love it. It's like, it's just, we're, we, that's how we are. You know, I wish we were a little more calculating and I wish we were a little smarter about this stuff and savvy because it would benefit us and our families in the way, you know, I mean, I now know, I know so many millionaires now. I never thought I'd know a millionaire, you know, right? but I know millionaires from punk rock and, and it does, 
it doesn't weigh on me. It just makes me go, holy shit, you know, what, why am I always doing things wrong? Like, you know, but you know, fuck it. I mean, you know, I'm proud of everything we've done. I've never, you know, people think sometimes that because we don't do that material, a lot of that stuff that we're embarrassed by it because like, you know, bad religion when they did into the end. It's never been about that. It's just that when we did it, we tried so hard to make it mesh with our, we still in our minds, we're still a fucking hardcore band and no one was, no one was having it. They're like, you're not a hardcore band. That's not hardcore. And then it was like, we are though. Like we're in a shitty van where we're, we're, we believe in, we're staying at houses where we're living the life. We believe the same beliefs, even musically. We're still doing young till I die. And we're still doing that stuff. But everybody was just like, no, man. And I mean, and there were people that were just devastated. Like they just felt, you know, I mean, people turn on us. Tim Yohannan, that was the last time you know, we stopped speaking after that. All of these various people who were just such big, you know, proponents of what we did. So as being a young, sensitive, you know, e- having a little bit of an ego, I was just butthurt. And I was like, fuck it. This is this is this, this is not the scene that I thought. This is not the community that I want to be a part of. I mean, like I, I thought we really were. You know, like, look, we, you know, like, I fuck, I love, I love Minor Threat, I love Black Flag, but I also love Minutemen, I also love Big Boys. Those bands are, you could easily say they're not hardcore, but they are as hardcore as fuck to me, you know, like the way they live and the made their philosophy. And once I realized that that didn't gel with the late, mid late 80s hardcore scene, and it, and then it just progressively got different, and like in the 90s. We, you know, as much as I, I was still going to hardcore shows and, and we were playing with a lot of hardcore bands, I just felt like, wow, we are so, like, no one is uh, connecting us with this. This is a scene we started. This is a, we were there in the beginning. We can't even, like, own a, we don't, can't claim it. And it's even, now it's cr- really crazy with all the metalcore shit. When our last record came out, which to me is, like, the most hardcore thing we've done in ages, to me it is, it, it is what hardcore sounds like to me. That's the kind of hardcore right. I want to make. The new kids that, especially the kids that follow our the label War on Rise, that's not fucking hardcore. I don't even know what this shit is. I mean, that's what kids were saying. Like, I don't even know what this I shit is. Seeing some of the comments, and it's great. <laughs> I mean, I expected it, and it didn't hurt me because it's just like I get it. But it's just like now we now we really can't even claim hardcore anymore. Like, you but know, you know what? The, what's weird about it is that it's it's a strange expectation to be able to think that you can. And the and the reason being is that what's another form of music? Oh God, I already know the answer. I think where you can go, they can make a record and then fast forward 30, 25, 30 years and make another record that still sounds like you know, and, and then have people say, oh yes, this sounds like what we expect. Like m- musical styles don't just maintain that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to say this because I don't know anything about it, but maybe reggae. Yeah, like I don't know. Does do re- does reggae music still sound like reggae music from? That's a good question. A okay. I mean, we know country doesn't. We know so, hip hop doesn't. Sorry, everyone who is screaming at me right now. You don't know a damn thing about what you're talking about. Well, you're I, probably uh, right. Well, I do what I, I do with reggae, what I do with hardcore. I listen to the old shit. That's all I go back to. You <laughs> know, go. Like, what am so, I, I mean, say? it kind of makes sense. There are these little things that change, and, you know, then, then new kids get inspired, yeah. and people grow up and have families and get jobs, and they don't spend as much time right? in it. And the thing is, is that's the way it should be. Like, I, like, I, I'm, again, I'm so conflicted with it because. I'm the first, like, even in one, each last of the last couple albums, you can hear the fucking clashing of the hypocrisy. I'm saying, on one <laughs> level, I'm saying, let's move aside so the young kids can do this shit. And the other side, I'm saying, this is our core. This is like, what we, we are still relevant. Right. Well, no, I, I'm like, I don't even know if we ever were relevant it, or what that means, but it's like, 
it's it's such an odd thing. And sometimes when I really think about it, and I, I it hurts my head because I'm like, I don't, I, I'm never gonna get my mind wrapped around how this works. I mean, but then again, I do. Like, and I'm okay with being the old guys that step aside. I'm way okay with that. It, I, I don't even have an, a a desire to to be at the cut. I don't care if I'm relevant in the eyes of a 22 year old or whatever. It doesn't matter to me if I am. That's great. Fuck, you know, but I don't expect it. And I don't necessarily get, it doesn't feed me, you know, it doesn't fuel me in any way. Like it's, it's hard to explain that without sounding (laughs) lame because I also don't want to be, I don't want to come off like I'm like, I'm flipping about it or like I, you know, I'm too adult for that now. And, you know, as far as hardcore goes, the sound of it and the, and the the lifestyle, you know, I I'm still a hardcore motherfucker. I mean, I sleep in my van. I I, I play. I'll play anywhere. <laughs> I love going out and hanging out with the people and 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 I go out to try to and I do listen for new bands. I'm I'm begging to hear some bands kick my fucking ass. I want it to happen, and when it does, I'm so happy. You know, like and I'm I'm fucking humbled by it because the jaded part of me wants to say they don't make music like they used to, you know? And, and, and I do for the most part stand by that. <laughs> but then I, you know, I was saying that about a lot of nineties bands when some of the most influential bands came from that era. And this is a, another thing I noticed. And I, I, I've sort of always hear myself are saying is that we we were around so early on and then had probably had we broken up and stayed broken up for a long time and then come back and had the reunion thing we probably would be so much more massive and stuff right. in in some ways like like the way the de- descendants are now or something but we never went away we we take breaks there was always some form of we were always playing and it was always at least me and or Steve and or Troy, you know, like it was always. And how many times have you heard the return of seven seconds? Oh yeah. It, no matter what we, you know, no matter what, it's always going to be like, Oh, I saw you guys on the reunion tour 99. It's like, but we, Oh, fuck it. I don't care. Call it a reunion tour. Call it what you want. But, um, you know, so the nineties, like so many of those bands have done really well, whether it's like hardcore or pop punky stuff. And we weren't super busy. Like we were, doing some stuff we were touring and we were making we made a couple records but i was also in the time where i sort of was doing some side project shit and the other guys were having kids and everything so you know again once again timing has just been our enemy you know and (laughs) and stuff but you know at this point it's just like look you know we're we're we we get invited to, to do so much so much shit i mean we turned down so many tours that potentially would be great for us financially and we'd get out in front of kids and did all this stuff but I just, like I've said, the last two records were really nowadays, you know, people are like said, why are you making, even bothering making records? And I'm like, because A, I'm a songwriter. I love writing songs. I love hearing my guys take the songs I've written and then make them theirs. And it's great to come out and, with a set and have some new stuff to do it. It keeps us excited. And if you, But if you weren't making new songs, people would be saying like, why are you just playing all these old songs? You can't even write a new song. I, mean, I, don't, that, and I that's, don't even think people care about that. Though. And why hear people saying that about other bands? Really? That, that, are, that are only out playing like older songs. Like, See, to me, everybody wants that shit. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's one or the other. Like you're, no matter what you do, some group of people is going to complain about it mm-hmm. um, and think that you ha- and have an opinion that you should do it a different way. And there's just... That's 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 the world, man. You have to just be like, nope, I'm doing it my way. No, that's it, and that's it. And so nowadays, I say we're making music for us and our 500 fans out there, you know, or whatever the fuck, our diehard. Like they'll get it, they'll understand it. And sure enough, when we made this last record, I'm sure it sold, you know, a couple thousand. Who knows? But it 
it when it came out and Rise put the video out and stuff, I knew the reaction was going to be, and I knew what I was going to do, which was as I was going to respond to it on my Facebook page because I love doing it. People love that I do it. And it it really did. It ended up getting people actually would feed my posts to blogs and they would post it and it fucking promoted the record. And I was yeah. like, I don't give a shit if if you want to say that I'm just being a crotchety old man because I'm going, you know, say what you want. My whole thing was always addressing our fans, our friends, us, and just saying, just because I was, you know, some of our closest fan friends. I mean, it seems like everybody that's our fans or friends, but they were writing me personally, like, like this sucks, man. You, this, this record's so great. And how does, how do people? Not? And they were like, they were hurt by it. Yeah. And so when I was responding, it was basically for them because I was like, you know me, I'm my feelings don't get hurt very much anymore. You know, I'm gonna do what I do anyway. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, I'm totally with you and I totally understand it because I am that age and I also think that about that record. Mm. Then I then I think about the South Park episode where the kids are playing the, the video game with the guitars mm. and the dad comes down and he has a real guitar. <laughs> Have you seen this? Did you ever uh-uh. watch this show? No, I've seen And he yeah. says, why don't you guys want to play? I'll teach you how to play real music. <laughs> and they're all like, you're lame, dad. <laughs> like, there's That's a little awesome. bit of like, there's there, there just comes a point where it's like, you're not going to get through to the kids, Mm-mm. not because you're not right, but because the kids will resist. Yeah. Because they have to. They're supposed to. That's a part <laughs> of it. You resisted as a kid. That's, that's right. how your music happened. Now it's coming back and, and, and that's fine. I'm That cycle of it all is so good to me. Like people think I'm just being like, oh, that's what you're supposed to say. But I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't like, I don't dislike kids any less or anymore. I just, I realize that I'm not. They're not. I'm. I'm not the one that they're looking to for fucking inspiration or fun, and you know there was a time when there were kids that did that, and that's all good. But even back then, I was just like, look. Ultimately, this is just a fun way to go out and play music and hang out with cool people and learn a little bit about the world that we live in and be a part of it. Like, you know, go. I mean, you're going to crazy countries and you're experiencing these things that I wouldn't have gotten to do on my own because I've never been I've never had a ton of money so it's like it, it just in, it's enriched my life more than anyone will ever know and more than anyone needs to know it doesn't matter that anyone needs to know and it's made me you know it's just you you, you meant you asked this thing earlier where it's like well how where, when did it turn into when did you become Kevin seconds or whatever I think that I always sort of had an idea of who I should be or what I knew I wanted to be. It was just really hard to get there because of my upbringing and and there was a severe lack of boundaries and uh, structure in my young life. So I was like anytime I get a chance to – like even this silly 400 song thing is giving me structure. It's giving me something that I sort of feel like – like like I'm I'm putting my own deadline on myself and, and no one gives a shit but I need I need that structure. Well, let's okay. So let's let's talk about that real quick because we're I know you're running out of time and we gotta <laughs> we gotta wrap this up, part two. Um, so I'm gonna make sure you get where you need to get to go. But let's talk about um what you're doing now. Like talk you know you're doing you, you mentioned four hundred songs. You're you're sitting there on my podcast. Thank you. Um. But uh, I know you're, you're playing, you know, you're up here for some solo stuff mm-hmm. and you're doing, you're writing 400 songs in 2015. I'm trying to, I'm go- that's my goal, but whether I do. So, yeah. So tell us about it. Well, I, you know, since the the 80s, the mid 80s, I started, I was always doing acoustic guitar, open mic shit. And I was doing, I went out to New Jersey and I played some acoustic sets and just, I've always done it, you know, but yeah, probably sometime in the 90s, I started to actually do some small touring and just me and acoustic guitar. And I did that just because I wanted to 
A, I wanted to just be in a car or a van by myself and just have my own time and just try to sort of just just know that I could do other things besides seven seconds. And then uh, over the years, I've just put some records out and done, you know, a lot of touring internationally. And I, uh, you know, now there's not now, just now, but over the last few years has been a, this thing where punk rockers are doing the acoustic thing. And uh, I, it's fine with me. I like it. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, the one, the ones that have become established, like Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music and Tim Berry from Avail, those guys really are doing it well and they're writing great songs and they're backing up their thing. So it's nice to be semi-affiliated with those guys and just I'm, you know, I love that it's another side of punk rock in, in my opinion. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. And, and the 400 song thing really is just a, I just didn't write a ton of songs. I love writing songs. I, I do it so much. It's just something that I just really, really love to do and it brings me just so much joy to just finish a song and record it. And, you know, I don't even look at it like this is going to be a great song. I, everyone's got to hear it. I just think it pleases me to the point where it's just sometimes it really is. The, it's the thing that will make or break a good or bad day is if I can get in and just play guitar and write a song, you know. So and, and so I'm, when did you have the idea that you were going to do 400 songs in 2015? Uh, probably December 31st. 30th or something. That's what I thought. Yeah. So um, I have ideas like that sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes I, because I can't execute them or go out and make a statement about them, a couple of days later I go, whoa, what was I thinking? <laughs> you put yourself right in there. Like you made the claim. Yeah. Now how do you feel at the well, beginning of the fourth month? I'm uh, I'm overwhelmed and I've bit off way more than I can chew and I, I'm already behind but then again, I say that yet I've 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 almost written eight, 90 songs in three months. So that's no one really writes ninety songs in three months. That that I mean, and again, you know whether they're good or bad. I know I love them. I put everything. I like in my mind. I have this bizarre little thing. Like I'm I'm try, I'm being hired by an old time publishing company to write a hit single for somebody. Yeah. And so I'm trying to write these little <laughs> mini hit singles, and it's silly. I mean. It's everything from like you know, there, but out of it, I've 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 created my own fake hard new hardcore band. This is, I, I call it Aim Higher, and it's just like nah, 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 nah. you know, it's just really fast. So I've been putting out fake EPs, like the lost <laughs> the lost four song EP that the you know, and and I, I love it because it's like I'm getting just enough response, and and people are going, yeah, this is great. That it that it's fun to like be in on this. But so on you this could project. you could tour Aim Higher. The more I do it, the more I'm into it. The more that I am actually going, I, if I could find the right guys or guy, you know, to to just go out with me and do this, I would do it. Like it would it would be fucking fun as shit. And the songs are like there are again, it's the hardcore style that I just love, melodic, fast, boom, boom, done. You know, um, but there's also a, there's that melodic, you know, that sort of poppy thing which just is in me. I can't help it, and it's just fun and. Uh, like Mark from, you know, from Slapshot, you know, he's like, okay, you know, I was the f like, we make jokes. Like he was the first aim hydra. Like I, I, I built up a fake history and, you know, it's just funny to me. Like, and I actually didn't think about how funny it would be to do like a, a spinal tap style, mini small web film where it's just like, you know, aim higher, the band that just never got its due. And, you know, it was like, they came around when like, whatever, but it's just, um, it's, it's just a fun fucking thing. And it's just, uh. 
I just want to, I'd like to try and hit 100. If I hit it 100, I feel like I can do 200 and then we'll see. But it, it's great. It's just fun. And I'm, who knows? The other thing too is if nothing else, by the end of the year, I'll have so much stuff recorded that if I want to put out some fun seven inch shit, or if I want to do, just do keep doing band camp, you know, here's a download. I can do whatever I want. Oh and yeah. Never have to worry about it. So excellent. Yeah. Well, man, I have, uh, <laughs> I have kept you here for a long time. It was my pleasure. It was really fun. I very much appreciate it. I quite enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything parting you want people to know? Or have we covered it all? I think we covered it all. Um, there are, there's a couple of, the, you know, there's a book in the works for seven seconds. There's, uh, you know, there's two different documentary film possibilities. I have no idea if it's going to happen. But yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're going to do two. We're just going to keep playing as long as it's fun for us. And, and other than that, you know. Thanks, man. This is fun. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, it was obviously a big deal for me, and cool. I, I, it's it's me worked too. out great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Right, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Well, there it is. The end of what was more than three and a half hours of conversation. And I think you could tell by my voice throughout that thing, I was pretty damn excited to have that conversation. That that was a real treat for me. And it didn't really fit in with the general theme of talking to people that I know, mostly from the Northwest punk and hardcore scene. But, you know, it, the, the word mostly is in there. There are going to be people I talk to that aren't from the Northwest or really didn't have as much of an impact up here, but who are still part of my life. And we're just going to take some time every once in a while to talk to those people because a lot of people have interesting stories and I don't want to miss out on them. But anyway, I encourage you, if you dug what you heard and you haven't listened to 7 Seconds for a while or you haven't seen what, what Kevin's been doing with his solo stuff lately, you go check that out. I put some links on the page on nobodysnose.com for this episode to Kevin's Bandcamp so you can see how he's coming along with those 400 songs that he's been talking about. To his record label, Rise Records, the label for, uh, for 7 Seconds right now, you can pick up the new 7 Seconds record. It's really good. And, you know, follow him on Twitter. Follow 7 Seconds on Twitter. You know, like them on Facebook so you see what's going on with their tours. They still go out and play. And you got to see these guys. You got to see these guys do it because it's awesome. And singing along to a song like Trust or or Walk Together, Rock Together or 99 Red Balloons. You know, even today, that is still a good time. Okay, as far as corrections go on this, I don't know if there are any. Like, honestly, like, I think there were some things that we just corrected as we were going through and I don't know if there's corrections to make in the stuff that Kevin said and I may have made some mistakes and stuff I said but I haven't I haven't caught it yet so I'm just gonna say nothing for a while here um, in terms of uh, in terms of corrections that I can think to mention um, yeah so we're coming up on uh, the 10th episode we're gonna do episode 10 episode Roman numeral X it's gonna be a pretty straight edge episode I'm telling you uh, it's going to be a Ram Arslanian from Champion and Betrayed and React Records. So that's going to be a good time. We had a nice long talk already, but the episode is not coming out next week. Next week, I will be in New York at the Tribeca Film Festival. A short film that I wrote is world premiering at Tribeca. So I'm actually going to fly out there and spend a week on the East Coast. So we're going to go ahead and get a Rams episode up the week I get back. So two weeks out. Um, I'll put up some other links to some things on the site just before I go, 
a link to the uh, trailer for the uh, the short that I wrote. It's called Big Boy, um, and get some information about what's going on out there, just in case anybody is out there next week. You know, when it's screening and wants to go check it out. Yeah, what can I say? Please, if you're enjoying this, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, please go to iTunes and rate and review it. Go to the I've Known You Too Long page and give us that five-star review. And if you want to leave some words about it, that would be awesome too. It really helps. It really does. We go up in the rankings on iTunes and then more people can come along, stumble upon the podcast and say, oh, uh, I didn't know that I wanted to hear stories about people when they were kids that I didn't know playing a type of music I don't listen to but these are good stories and I'll listen to it it, it could happen I suppose but you know and tell maybe even better than that it'd still be cool if you do that but even better than that tell people about this like go ahead and share it on Facebook or let people know you know that this is a fair use of their time you know that, that maybe there's there might be some fun there might be some laughs or they might get some insight into some people whose music they've appreciated or, or friendship they've appreciated or, or just will discover that they appreciate some of the stuff they've done. And with that said, I am out for a couple weeks. I'll see you all again here soon. Thank you. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.